Discover reaches a consent agreement with the FDIC. And layoffs and other cutbacks follow an executive shakeup at debt-heavy physicians group Dooley Health. Dooley's debt to EBITDA ratio is not great. I'll discuss that and other healthcare business news with Crane's healthcare reporter, Katherine Davis. The latest report from Moody shows that Dooley's adjusted debt to EBITDA ratio rose to about 8.3x at the end of March, meaning Dooley has about eight times as much debt as earnings. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Tuesday, October 3rd. You shouldn't have to explain to your bank why your business matters. Wintrust Commercial Banking doesn't rely on clients to educate them. They have dedicated teams of Chicagoland-based experts specializing in a range of industries, allowing them to offer customized solutions. Built in the area for the area, Wintrust offers the tools and support your business needs to thrive in Chicago. Be your bank's top priority at Wintrust Commercial Banking. Meet your future banker at Wintrust.com slash banker. Wintrust products provided by Wintrust Financial Corporation Banks, FDIC, EHL. I'm joined by Crane's healthcare reporter, Catherine Davis, to talk about news from the healthcare business beat. Let's start by talking about uh, Dooley Health, a uh, company that we have talked about before on the podcast, but more news there. Tell me what's up. As you mentioned, you know, we've talked before about the Dooley Health and Care saga that I've sort of been covering over the last few months. Yeah. Just to set the scene for, for people that aren't totally caught up, Dooley Health and Care is the largest physicians group in the Chicago area, you know, employing about 7,000 people, 1,000 doctors. They have 2.5 million patients. So they have a really big footprint here locally. And I started sort of getting the sense that things were changing at Dooley back in June when they quietly named a new CEO, Dan Greenleaf. We talked about that extensively. And then just, you know, weeks later at the beginning of August, they overhauled their executive team. They pushed out some long time of executives, brought some new people in, promoted some people, but it was certainly sort of a shakeup of the executive team and sort of, I think, the direction that Dooley Health and Care wanted to go in. And then more recently, I've you know been hearing from current and former employees about some other internal changes, and that's what I reported here recently. The chief among them, though, was the fact that Dooley has laid off a number of workers in recent months. So there was a round of layoffs in September. Uh, there was an earlier round in May, and my understanding is that layoffs affected folks across the organization and sort of come during this period for Julie when they are struggling financially. Given all the change that's happened there, what will you be kind of watching for with Julie? It seems like with so much change having just happened and now here more waves of it, and as you mentioned, a, a financial struggle, what's kind of the path forward for them? You know, I think that's yet to be seen. Right now, they're really focused on cost cutting. So aside from the layoffs, you know, the other things I've heard happening at Dooley include them cutting a compensation program. They are not funding what they call a profit sharing program this year. 
that could just be temporary. I, I don't know for sure. And the company won't comment on it. The other cost cutting measure they're taking is looks like they are trimming some services. One of them includes palliative care, um, also known as end of life care. And so they said in a memo that I reviewed that they are transferring those patients to other providers. So these sort of changes give us a sense that Dooley is trying to cut costs, trying to conserve cash right now. And when I started looking into it, you know, it appears that Dooley, you know, they say themselves that they are facing challenges that healthcare organizations across the country are dealing with, right, since the COVID pandemic and a recent wave of inflation that's just, you know, making it harder to to operate in the healthcare space right now. But I think one other thing that is burdening duly is a large debt burden they have when they took out debt to finance a private equity transaction in 2017. Uh, we've talked about that on the podcast as well, but Aries Management, an LA PE firm, put more than a billion dollars into Dooley. That's really helped finance their growth. But, you know, in the process, uh, Dooley now has his debt burden um, and they've been paying dividends to Aries investors. And at this point, it seems clear that that has much to do with the financial state of Dooley. So, you know, it's a little bit trickier with Dooley since it's a privately held company and they don't have to disclose, you know, the same kind of things that a publicly held company would. Um, but what else do you know about the financials there? And, and what about credit rating and all that? With being a private company, Dooley's not required to disclose really anything. Um, but because of the debt that they've taken out and the size of it, credit ratings agencies have begun to monitor Dooley. And Moody's Investor Service has followed Dooley since the Aries investment in 2017. And so, you know, we've we've looked at those filings just to sort of see, you know, what is the outlook for Dooley. And amid all these changes, right, the executive changes, layoffs, Moody's actually downgraded Dooley's debt rating from B2 to B3, citing an expectation of elevated financial leverage through 2024. And what that basically means is that Dooley's debt to EBITDA ratio is not great. The latest report from Moody shows that Dooley's adjusted debt to EBITDA ratio rose to about 8.3x at the end of March, meaning Dooley has about eight times as much debt as earnings, which is significant. And that is up from the mid-5x range when Aries first invested in Dooley. I was talking with a Moody's analyst and she was telling me, you know, they were really concerned about Dooley burning so much cash for a long period of time. And that, you know, she said, this is a really high amount of debt for this rating level. Uh, she did say she's expecting Dooley's outlook to improve a little bit in coming months because they'll be onboarding new doctors. Uh, hopefully their productivity improves. Dooley's also renegotiating some of its health insurance contracts with private insurers. And, you know, the expectation that inflation eases will, of course, help Dooley like it would any other company. But I think, you know, another sort of layer to this financial challenge for Dooley comes from the fact that in 2021, 
duly financed a $209 million dividend to Aries investors. This is a common practice for private equity firms where, you know, they make an investment in a company and soon after uh, they're essentially extracting cash uh, from the company they invested in to pay back those investors, right? That's sort of like the whole idea with private equity is you invest to make a return. But, you know, in this case with Dooley, the physicians group actually borrowed money to fund that dividend. And at the time that attracted criticism from Moody's, you know, they described the transaction as aggressive. They also said it would meaningfully reduce Dooley's cash balance and that it would leave the physicians group weakly positioned to absorb any unexpected operating setback. And, you know, as we know, the COVID-19 pandemic was an unexpected setback for the entire healthcare industry. So I think that sort of brings us, you know, to present day and sort of explains sort of why Dooley's in this cost-cutting phase right now. You know, and there's certainly also pressure on them to position Dooley for a exit event, right? To either be uh, taken public by their PE firm or to be sold to a strategic buyer or another private equity firm. Yeah, that's exactly where my my mind was going next. Um, Given how much consolidation is happening in the healthcare industry, it seems like that would probably be the next, um, one of the next things that, that might come up here in this situation. Totally. I mean, you know, we typically know that private equity firms hold on to their assets for five to seven years. Aries has now held its stake in Dooley for about six years. And, you know, back in the winter, I wrote a story about sort of this exact issue and sort of, you know, speculating what the potential scenarios for a Dooley buyout might look like. We know that, you know, like you said, the healthcare industry is consolidating. There's players like the pharmacy retail giants, CVS Health and Walgreens acquiring primary care and specialty care companies, which, you know, which is what Dooley is, right? Those are Dooley competitors they're buying up. And so you could see, you know, the possibility for a deal like that to materialize for Dooley. But in the meantime, this consolidation presents more competitive pressures for Dooley, putting strain on, on the financial outlook again. And, you know, we don't know exactly what Aries is planning. They, of course, declined to comment. But that, I think, is probably what I'll be looking for going forward is signs that Dooley is going to be sold soon. Yeah, certainly. Well, you'll have to swing back through the podcast and talk it over when you when you know more. In the meantime, while I have you here, talk to me about this dental startup, Dentology. Uh, it's led by uh, the former Redbox CEO. Has raised quite a bit of money for expansion. Yeah. So Dentology, you may have seen these around Chicago. I know I have just sort of like frequenting specific neighborhoods in Chicago, like River North or Fulton Market, Wicker Park. And they're, you know, great looking stores. Like they are really sort of like Instagrammable, like just attractive, not your typical dentist office. I mean, they look like you're walking into a Glossier store, if you know what Glossier is, the makeup startup. Right. Um, very like millennial, just, just great looking. Look them up on Instagram. You'll see what I'm talking about. But they recently raised $25 million to open more locations in Chicago and expand to new markets. And this was an interesting story to me because it's not often that you see health providers raising venture capital in this way. Typically, you see, you know, a 
family practice, a dentist's office, they expand, they open new locations um, with traditional means, right? With their profits, uh, with bank loans. Um, You know, this sort of chain practice concept hasn't really been um, something that's, you know, often considered super scalable, uh, like a tech software product is, right? Obviously open, anything that's brick and mortar is capital intensive and requires a lot of capital as well. But Dentology, they plan to open a few more locations here in Chicago. They're targeting Northside neighborhoods in Oak Park and then plan to go to another market. You know, they told me that their target patient is, you know, millennials, maybe from ages 25 to 40 with private insurance. And they're like, you know, this this patient population is not just in Chicago, it's in cities all across America. And so that's that's sort of what they're targeting for expansion. Yeah. And you noted in reporting that they've served about 60,000 individual patients so far, and this brings their total funding raised to about $41 million. Um, what's their timeline for opening these uh, this next round of stores and entering new markets? So they plan to open about two more in Chicago by the end of the year, and then certainly launch in a new market in 2024. That's about the extent of the timeline that I'm aware of. But, you know, we talked a little bit about, you know, why their model works for them. Um, You know, like they really target these um, high foot traffic retail corridors, essentially. Like, I don't know about you, Amy, but my dentist here in Chicago is on like the 17th floor of a loop office building. You would never know from street level that there's even a dentist in there. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the dentology leadership, they're saying they're going with this opposite approach that they want to be street level. They sort of want that like, you know, retail advertising component. And they said it works for them. They said that almost 30% of their patients are people just coming in off the street, that they just saw a dentology in their neighborhood or where they work and said, oh, yeah, I do need a dental cleaning, right? So, you know, they're saying that while rent is maybe more expensive for these places, they're seeing a payoff for it right now. And the the CEO, he does not come from the healthcare world, right? That's right. Greg Kaplan. Uh, he is the founder and former CEO of Redbox. And I asked him, I was like, why, you know, with no healthcare experience, do you now want to do this? And he was like, well, I believe in the in the business. And he said that he believes it can be scaled rapidly, which I found interesting, um, you know, based on what we talked about earlier with, you know, the typical expansion with uh, provider practices. But he said that he wants to sort of apply the red box playbook. Hmm. Um, He said it best. Let's optimize with a couple locations and then scale quickly when we're ready. So we'll uh, certainly be watching their, their progress here. And, um, I'm sure I'll be back with more updates. (laughs) Definitely. All right. Well, thanks so much for stopping by today. Thanks, Amy. Coming up, restaurant industry vets are raising a $100 million venture fund. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Here's a great way to stay in touch with Crane's Daily Gist. Subscribe to the Crane's Morning 10. It's our daily newsletter featuring the 10 biggest stories of the day. To subscribe, visit chicagobusiness.com morning 10. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. Discover Financial Services said Friday that it reached a consent order with federal regulators in connection with an exam of consumer protection laws two years ago. 
Crane's John Pletz reported that the Riverwoods-based credit card company removed CEO Roger Hochschild in August as part of a broad shakeup of senior management related to regulatory issues. Discover shares rose 2 percent Friday in after-hours trading to 88.11, but the stock remains 28 percent below where it was trading before the company warned shareholders of various regulatory issues. Pletz noted in reporting that the FDIC did not lay out exactly what rules it found Discover had broken other than to say it, quote, engaged in unsafe or unsound banking practices by failing to establish and maintain a compliance management system providing for compliance with consumer protection laws and regulations. The agency also mentioned unspecified violations of Federal Trade Commission regulations, the Truth in Lending Act, and the Service Members Civil Relief Act. The agency said that the results of the FDIC review are confidential. Pletz also noted in reporting that Discover neither admitted nor denied any findings in the consent order, which did not include any fines. In an email to Cranes, the company said, quote, Discover takes its business practices and compliance seriously. Also saying, quote, We have been working closely with the FDIC regarding the previously disclosed consent order and are committed to ensuring all requirements of the consent order are met. The emailed statement also said, quote, Discover continues to enhance its corporate governance and enterprise risk management practices and has taken significant steps to address the issues identified. The consent order does not contain any monetary penalties or fines. Pletz also noted in reporting that the consent order requires Discover's board to increase oversight of the company's risk management framework and consumer compliance program, hire outside parties to conduct a corporate governance review, and assess the bank's consumer compliance risk and procedures. Chicago-based United Airlines is wooing active-duty pilots who are preparing to leave the U.S. military under a new program that will provide conditional job offers once they complete their service. Michael Cooper, senior manager of Pilot Strategy, said in an interview on Thursday that the carrier hopes to boost the percentage of its pilots who come directly from the military up from 19 percent to about 40 percent. Bloomberg noted in reporting that the plan is the latest move by U.S. airlines to recruit aviators after the industry was impacted by a pilot shortage during the pandemic, when thousands retired or simply left the career. While big carriers like United currently have hired enough pilots, some airlines are still experiencing bottlenecks in training. And regional airlines, which have lost huge numbers of pilots to larger rivals, are struggling to keep enough with sufficient experience to fly as captains. United said they expect to hire about 600 pilots a year through the program and that the carrier has hired 4,000 pilots in the past 24 months and plans to add more than 10,000 this decade. Crane's Detroit business reported that a Detroit-based brokerage's acquisition by a Chicago firm has ripple effects for another. Cressa has purchased tenant rep firm Axiom Advisory Group, founded in 2017 for an undisclosed price, formally ending a 25-year affiliation with the real estate arm of Southfield, Michigan-based Plant Moran, according to a news release. As a result, Plant Moran has merged its 125-person real estate team across two branches, Plant Moran Cressa and Plant Moran Real Estate Investment Advisors, or REIA, to create Plant Moran RealPoint. Ryan Burton and Kurt Stanton are leading Cressa's Detroit office. The former Axiom also has brokers in Chicago and Dallas who will now work under the Cressa brand. 
Crane's Detroit business reported that a purchase price was not disclosed for the company. Axiom has completed more than 450 leases, totaling more than 16 million square feet in 28 countries for public and private companies, and has a project management platform that has worked on $565 million in construction projects, according to the release. On the Plant Moran side, Plant Moran Cressa focused on tenant representation, while Plant Moran REIA focused on development consulting, transaction management, and religious institution services. Plant Moran's REIA Asset Management Services Group will be called Plant Moran RealPoint Investment Advisors, while the Senior Living Development Advisory Group called the Plant Moran Living Forward brand will continue unchanged. Bill Lichwala, president and CEO of Plant Moran RealPoint, called the shift away from Cressa a, quote, amicable decoupling in a statement that said, quote, moving forward as Plant Moran RealPoint supports our expansion goals by aligning with Plant Moran's footprint, industry specialization, and client service strategy. Crane's Detroit business also noted in reporting that the company has worked on north of $1 billion in real estate sales over the years and is owner's representative on more than $5 billion in construction projects, also according to the press release. A Chicago venture capital fund backed by restaurant industry veterans is looking to invest in restaurants and tech companies. Cranes reported that Michael Focht, a longtime consultant who's worked with chains like Bar Louie and Cheesecake Factory on real estate and supply chain issues, has raised more than $50 million of a planned $100 million fund. Investors in the emerging fund include Randy DeWitt, founder of the Twin Peaks restaurant franchise, Taylor Katzman, founder of online alcohol ordering platform Provi, and Sterling Douglas, founder of restaurant software company Chowley. Matt Mena, managing principal at Sterling Bay and co-founder of restaurant operator Four Corners Tavern Group, is a general partner in the fund. Emerging plans to focus on restaurant concepts with one to six units as well as restaurant tech startups. Jay Steber, general counsel and partner at Lettuce Entertain Enterprises, who is an investor in the fund, told Cranes, quote, The restaurant space is challenging to finance through conventional sources. He also said, as you're growing, it's mostly friends and families or private placements. The restaurant industry is really struggling with higher costs, particularly labor, and tech can help provide some solutions to these problems. The fund already has made a number of investments, roughly split between technology and restaurant concepts, including F1 Arcade, the Formula One restaurant and bar concept, as well as Putt Shack. You can find more reporting on this and many other stories at chicagobusiness.com. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous newsfeed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's healthcare reporter, Katherine Davis. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.